This is the Human-Centric Investing Podcast with John Deal, where we look at the world of investing through the eyes of our clients. Over to you, John. Welcome to Episode 48 of the Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Joining me for today's podcast to finish up a discussion that we had on a recent podcast is Julie Jenjak. Uh, Julie is a managing director on the Applied Insights team here at Hartford Funds. And uh, as we learned in our last podcast, in addition to delivering a lot of our MIT Age Lab content to advisors and to client audiences, uh, Julie has also spent a lot of her career coaching teams on efficiency and overcoming the hurdles of really a, a top-notch, high-performing team. Uh, so, Julie, welcome back to the podcast today. Thank you, John. So, Julie, when we left off the last episode, one thing I do want to mention, you can find Julie's insights uh, on teams at hartfordfunds.com slash teams. Again, that's hartfordfunds, all one word, dot com slash teams. And Julie, when we left off from the last podcast episode, which I, I definitely would recommend folks listen to as an intro to this podcast, we were talking about the importance of documenting roles and responsibilities and how you begin to form your ideas around roles and responsibilities. And before I go there with uh, kind of the different types of personalities on a team, um, tell me what the consequences could be of not clearly defining roles and responsibilities. Absolutely. So there, there are several. Uh, first and foremost, activities could be either duplicated by team members who are unclear as to who's doing what, or uh, there could be gaps and tasks could slip through the cracks, right? Client doesn't receive their ACH or their check, paperwork isn't submitted, et cetera, et cetera. In addition, um, you know, oftentimes without that formal role and responsibility documentation, you know, members of the team don't really know how success is measured in their role, and they become frustrated if they don't feel like what they're doing day in and day out is actually producing the right results, and they're unclear about that. Uh, they'll interpret that negatively, and, and oftentimes it could lead to uh, an inability for an advisor to retain talented team members because they just aren't clear on what they're to be doing day in and day out. Well, then I guess you have the additional issue, right? If it, and it's not always a team member leaving, but perhaps uh, there's a you know a longer than expected absence of one of the team members, mm -hmm. and, and you'd probably have things falling through the cracks, right? Exactly. Absolutely. If uh, if it is not clear when, say, Jennifer is out for two weeks unexpectedly, what exactly she is doing each day, and not to say that Jennifer hasn't been a very hardworking contributor on the team, but if it's not clear as to how the other team members can step in and pick up those pieces in a seamless fashion, that's absolutely where major challenges can occur within the team and, and ultimately can impact uh, what clients feel from a client experience. So, Julie, you have an interesting way of putting kind of different personality types together on teams. And I, I love your terms because they, they quickly come to mind. But you talk about finders, grinders, and minders as a part of any given team. What do you mean by those terms? So, I think on any team, obviously, we have a, a compilation of humans that walk through the door. We, we go to uh, hire employees, and, and we have these great people with different life paths, experiences, educational backgrounds, and we bring them together to weave together this mosaic of human power to ultimately 
provide a great experience to clients and build a very viable practice that is in growth mode. And I think what's interesting is if you are able to look at each human or person on your team and really assess what are their natural strengths? What are their passions? What gets that person out of bed in the morning to come and do what they do? And if you can start to align those strengths and passions with their role on the team, it's incredible how energized each team member feels. So for example, uh, the, the finder role, right? The individual that likes to be out in the community gathering assets probably doesn't make sense to put your most introverted, quiet, um, non-social individual say, you know what, a core part of your role will be going to every networking evening event, luncheons, speaking about the team, and just go out there and gather assets. That's probably not the perfect fit. And so thinking about how we can take those natural strengths and align them with that person's day in and day out role can make a huge difference in how um, committed and how passionate each individual is when executing their role. And then that that obviously would differ from a grinder who, you know, when I look at this oftentimes on teams, and I just mean the advice, because I think sometimes we're guilty of just thinking about the advisors, right? Yes. And you, you'll see one advisor who is the, the rainmaker, if you mm-hmm. will, right? They're the the social butterfly and they're getting word out on, on the, about the team and what you do. And then someone else is the analyst. I assume that's your, your grinder. But yes. in addition to that, uh, the other roles on the team can be finders, grinders, and minders as well, right? Not just the Absolutely. Advisors. And I think it's, once again, very important. Of course, the financial advisor roles are crucial, and it's it's important to make sure that between advisors, they are crystal clear on who's doing what. But really, I always encourage teams to just take another step back and look at the entire team ecosystem. And is there an opportunity to maybe have a registered sales associate that that is very involved in the community and is very articulate and believes in the team and can articulate the team's process, could that individual start going to some of these networking activities and speaking about the team and the process and, and really being a great prospector? What I think that person would say is, wow, this team... A, values my contributions, and B, they're giving me an opportunity to grow professionally. I see a path forward, and I think from a retention standpoint, when when team members see that path for growth and opportunity, they're even more committed to that role and that team than they were before. And how about a minder? What's the difference between a, a grinder and a minder? So the person, you know, e- each team needs that person that is truly overseeing the details. So again, a a great registered associate or a sales associate that is keeping track of process and operations and and interfacing with the back office. And that person that is really kind of holding all the pieces together, that is what is so important. And really, I think most teams or advisors would argue that that is the cornerstone role. That's the glue of the team, right? You have the grinder. Maybe it is someone that's an analyst or someone that's cranking out financial plans for clients and they, they have their work and they're digging into it and really sinking their teeth into that. But that minder is, is keeping all of the pieces together and making sure that ultimately our machine is humming. Then, so those are really three good broad areas to look at, but we've talked about, 
creating roles and responsibilities. We talked about different people may have the aptitude to do these things. Mm -hmm. How important is documentation? Like, is this something that we could just pull ourselves together, discuss, everybody agrees who's going to do what, and then, and then off we go? Or uh, do you see that as a, as a fault point for teams? I definitely see that as a fault point for teams. And I think oftentimes teams will have the conversation and they'll be energized and they'll agree upon, um, you know, if there's five team members, here's what each person will do, but they keep it verbal. And until it is written down on paper, I would argue it's not real. And so uh, for, for a couple of reasons, number one, it's impossible to go back and review um, you know, we, uh, we as humans have great memories, but sometimes, you know, we need time to process and reflect. And so to be able to go back and review it and remind oneself of that's right, here's exactly what, what my, encapsulates my role. And then number two, as you mentioned earlier, what if there's that unexpected vacation or illness or an expected vacation or long period out of the office, that documented role and responsibility really becomes part of the team's operations manual. And anyone can go back and say, that's right, Jennifer is responsible for this. In Jennifer's absence, who else can step up and take over that role? And as you, let's say a a new team comes together, Julie, or one Mm -hmm. that's been around for a while is, you know, everybody just thought that we were taking care of everything, but you get into this accountability thing. I know that, uh, and, and role documentation, I know that sometimes it's really hard, no matter how experienced you are, to anticipate all the different things that may be coming your way, right? So mm-hmm. is this an ongoing process that you review every team meeting or if something else comes up? Because I could see it being a problem where one team member just assumes that because Julie does this type of thing that she's obviously the person to do it, but nobody informs Julie, right? Exactly. And we all know what happens when we assume. Right. Um, so you are you are absolutely right. I would say these aren't typically reviewed at every team meeting or, or necessarily even monthly, but um, either quarterly or semi-annual uh, in, in intervals. I, I do believe it's important for the team to pull the roles and responsibilities back out make sure that um, based upon whether it's uh, firm requirements, market conditions, you know, there are a lot of variables outside of the team that can create new rules, work uh, responsibilities. And so as those things come up, making sure that we're adding those documented items to individuals' uh, formal list of roles really is, is important. And so I essentially call it a living, breathing document. It's not as if we create it today, put our stamp of approval on it, it goes into the vault, and it stays that way for the next 10 years. This becomes a living, breathing document and part of the the conversation in an ongoing fashion of the team. One, I would also think that there's probably things that come up in the course of doing business that, let's face it, we're all busy, right? We can't yes. we can't sit down and have a team meeting every time something else comes up. So someone on the team may be asked to do something, yes. uh, at least on an inter- interim basis, but I would think it'd be important for the team meeting to be able to ask anyone about things that have been added to their responsibilities that they're not sure that they're the person cut out for it. And I think there probably needs to be a mutual respect and expectation on the team that because someone says they're not sure if it fits with what they do, that we shouldn't hold that against them, right? I mean, let's face it, it might be something nobody wants to do, but somebody just quote unquote got stuck with it. 
Um, I think it'd probably be best for the team to review that overall to say, you know, what's the solution here? What's the best thing we could do? Would, would you agree with that? I would wholeheartedly agree. I think um, oftentimes you're right. Someone had to execute an activity for a client and maybe they were the best person. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they loved it. Maybe they didn't, but it had to be done. But being able to have that open, honest dialogue in a safe environment with the team to say, you know, I just had a pretty meaty social security question slash project for a client. We got through it, but gosh, I just do not fancy myself a social security expert. I've had very little experience in that. Is there anybody else on the team that feels comfortable or has more experience in this where we could add that as a kind of a core role and responsibility for when these come up? So next time I feel that call, I could say, you know what, John and our team has a lot of social security experts you know, experience and expertise, let's connect you with him via a conference call so that he can help jump in and answer these questions. And I think it's just a matter of being able to have that conversation and then leverage experiences and skills and, and passions. John may say, you know, I find social security really interesting. I think it's a an, a an interesting animal. It's very complicated, but every time I talk to someone, I learn something new. So yes, I would love to have that be part of my, my core role in the team. So we talked a lot last podcast about accountability, and we talked mm-hmm. uh, the first part of this podcast, obviously, about roles and responsibilities. It seems that communication is going to be key. And I know when we intro the topic, you talked about three main areas, accountability, roles, responsibilities, communication. And then you mentioned a couple of you know key things to think about in terms of communication. So how should we think about communication within the team and and actually executing on some of these ideas we talked about? You know, that's a great question. I hear so often from advisors, oh, our team talks all the time. Trust me, we're really good on communication. And often I, I absolutely believe that. And oftentimes that is so true. But what I might ask that advisor or team is to peel that back one more layer. And and I like to think about communication in two different ways or, or flavors, if you will. One is uh you know, social friendly, uh, you know, engaging team members and how was your weekend? Tell me about your dog, et cetera. So really the kind of person to person communication versus the, the business communication, Uh, you know, discussing clients, uh, you know, systems process, uh, all sorts of uh, topics that really pertain to the practice and to clients. And if you think about it, those really are two very different types of communication. They're, they're different styles of communication. And so oftentimes teams are heavier on one versus the other. So for example, a team might have a ton of social conversation and they have so much social conversation because they have such a positive team dynamic. They like each other that they don't get to the business communication quickly enough. Maybe during a team meeting, they get frustrated and they found that the team meetings fizzled because no one found them a useful um, uh, way to spend time because all they were talking about for 45 minutes was their weekend activities mm-hmm. versus a team that maybe is a little heavier on the business side. They are you know, very process oriented, very efficient, and they get in that team meeting and there's not so much as a hello, good morning. They dive right into the agenda. And I might argue that weaving in a little bit of the, hey, let's go around and share about your weekend or let's share a personal goal that each of you have for the next three months and really getting to know each other on from the human perspective is also really important. 
Um, and so there, there are sometimes some easy solutions that I'm able to offer to teams to sort of help them find that balance. So from a 30,000 foot view, Julie, in your mm-hmm. experience, um, do you find that those issues are kind of equally split between personal or business? Or do you find that oftentimes teams are, are, are predominantly heavy in one area of communication versus the other? Oftentimes they're predominantly heavier in the social communication because uh-huh. at the end of the day, they've, they've found each other and it was based on, I like you, you know, John, you're, you're a great person. We ha- share similar philosophies, similar beliefs. I've gotten to know your family. I just genuinely like you as a person. And I just want to talk to you and, and get to know you more. And so that's where we spend a lot of our time chatting, not to say that we're not being productive employees and getting our job done, but our communication regarding our job and the processes in the business hasn't been as deliberate as it could be because we've just been chit-chatting and, you know, uh, spending time talking socially. Well, and it seems to me like it'd almost be easier to fix that problem than, you know, fixing it going the other way, right? Saying, hey, we're all supposed to like each other here. What are some of the things we should do to like one another more? It seems to me it might be, it might be easier to say, Hey, we are running. Well, I know we like one another, but we are running a business here. How do you fix that? Right. So I think, you know, one, one just very simple and I think elegant solution is, you know, whip out that iPhone that we all have in our pocket at all, all times of all day and start a five minute timer. And so at the beginning of a team meeting, start that timer. And when that timer goes off at the end of five minutes, we're done with social chit chat and we move on to the agenda of our team meeting. Or conversely, if we don't typically have that, any of that social engagement, we set that five minute timer and we are forced to speak socially with each other for the first five minutes, share about our weekend, share something personal, give an update on our children or our pets or our travels. And I think what that does is at least it helps the team slowly begin to step a little bit out of the habits that they've fallen into and begin to form some new habits. And I I would argue solidifies relationships along the way. And my guess is that this is really incumbent on the senior leaders on the team, right? Because if they don't believe in the value of a communication plan or structure, nobody, yeah, I could, I could see junior, more junior members of the team saying, you know, we need to talk about this stuff. We never talk about this stuff. Yeah. But without buy-in from the top, it probably isn't going to happen, right? It is It is so important. You're absolutely right that that the, the leader or leaders on the team um, show through their actions that they value communication that, and that they think it's important that each team member spend time committing to working on it and just, just getting better as a team at that balanced communication. How often do you see teams meeting like this, Julie? I mean, um, is this, I mean, I've seen some teams that absolutely have to meet at least once a week. I've seen other teams that meet, you know, maybe monthly. Are there mm-hmm. any, how, how do you coach teams around this need for communication? How often? So you're absolutely right. Many teams have fallen into a, a repeatable process and system that works well for them. And, and, and certainly um, that's to be respected just as a general framework if a team is looking to enhance or formalize their communication, I usually start with a, you know, kind of prescribing a a four-pronged approach. And it doesn't need to be overwhelming from day one. These are one one step at a time, one meeting at a time, Uh, but a daily huddle, 
um, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, everyone stands so that no one's getting too comfortable and it's not lasting an hour every day. But this is the quick tactical. Here's a, here are a couple things that happened yesterday, late in the day. Here's what we have on tap for today's meetings or, or conversations, anything else that's very timely that all ears need to hear. That's the time. But again, we're standing 10 or 15 minutes each day. And the second one is that weekly team meeting. Now, I should say that my recommendation is each one of these meetings is calendared. It is in the calendar on every team member's uh, radar, and it's to be treated like a client meeting. Now, of course, clients always come first, and there, there will be emergencies and things that might step in and derail that. But for the most part, we don't blow these meetings off and pretend like they're just a placeholder. They truly are a meeting because it's about the business that we're running. So this, this weekly meeting is scheduled for you know 30 to 45 minutes. The team is allowed to sit during this one because it's a little bit uh, longer. But really, this is to be a little bit more strategic. So thinking about really what's happening next week, what what's in the prospect pipeline, Again, what projects are simmering? Is there a new procedure or process that the firm has asked us to start implementing? We need to discuss whose role it is, how do we integrate this? So again, some of those things that might change, alter, but just making sure that the team is all on the same page. And then the third type of meeting that I would typically uh, prescribe or guide a team to consider is a either a monthly or a quarterly true strategy meeting. So the team gathers for an hour. It's agenda driven. And essentially this is thinking about where are we headed as a business? Reflecting on what are the last couple of clients that have left us and why? Is there a trend here that we need to be conscious of? And allowing each team member to have a voice at the table. Is there an area of their role that they just don't feel um, like they're executing well? Is there something that they have interest in doing? And just really being able to discuss as a team sort of all aspects of this, the strategy and the function of the team. And well, then the, can, oh, I'm sorry, ahead. go ahead, Julie. Yeah, the, the third one, the third aspect you were talking about, about to mention. Well, I was just going to mention that the last type of meeting is an annual off-site meeting where yeah. once a year, it's a half a day to a full day outside of the office and all team members are present, but this is really the past, the present, and the future of the team. And we're reflecting um, on successes, on challenges. We're talking about the current state of the union and what adjustments can we make. But most importantly, this is setting goals, putting metrics down. And then at the end of the day, we have to celebrate our success as a team. And I think as humans, oftentimes we spend so much time on the activity and then we have a win and we go, okay, well, that's great. Now we have to move on to the next activity. And we don't even take a couple of minutes to say, wow, we were very successful in bringing in that new client or whatever that activity may be. So celebrating successes at that meeting. Well, Julie, it's interesting. So as we talked about these topics, two things come to my mind. One, for teams that haven't really done the communication thing well or want to implement something new, I think of the work that Ryan Sullivan has done here at Hartford Funds on a presentation called Communicating to Connect, which a lot of times advisors, the first time they say it, they're like, wow, how can we use this with our clients? Mm -hmm. But really, it's intended to enhance communication amongst team members. And for advisors who would like to do a better job with communication, 
looking at some of that content in terms of exercises that we can participate in to enhance communication, I think I'd like to have you and Ryan together talk about that on a future podcast. And then the other topic that comes to mind, which uh, which we won't cover in the course of these two podcasts, but I would love to have you back in the future. I know you've given us a lot of thoughts, not only on these topics, but on maybe a- another uh, aspirational one, which is what happens when someone leaves the team? What happens when somebody joins the team? How do we uh, kind of work the team through transitions of these types? But I think before we go there, you almost have to make sure the other three components are already in place, right? Before you can effectively talk about some of those issues. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Oftentimes, again, as humans, we tend to jump in and solve a problem. I have a a, a team member left. I have an open role. I need to immediately fill that role. And that may ultimately be the right solution, but it's such a wonderful time to step, again, a half a step back and take stock of who the current team members are, what are they doing, and have a conversation. Is is there something that, that this departed team member was doing that you might have an interest in taking on and really making sure that your current house is in order? Because what oftentimes advisors find after going through that assessment process is the role that they really need isn't the exact role of the individual that left. And so it's a great opportunity to really innovate the practice while filling backfilling for that departed individual. Well, I think that is a an awesome topic for a subsequent podcast. And so I'll promise our listeners we will come back, maybe not for the very next podcast, but uh, I will definitely have Julie back on to talk about those issues around expanding the team or what do we do when someone leaves. But uh, Julie Jenjack, I want to thank you for the time you've spent on uh, on teaching us about efficiency within teams in terms of accountability, roles and responsibilities, and especially what we just talked about, uh, communication. I guess, again, to kind of sum up this episode, uh, one thing that you would have teams take away from the, the discussion that we've had today, if I, if I gave you one golden nugget that you, you could relate to folks, what would you say about the topics we talked about? I think at the end of the day, John, it's so important to remember that minor, minor adjustments can result in really significant results. And so don't feel as if you have to make these grand, uh, you know, renovations to one's practice and process. It's about thinking very strategically about one or more of these topics and just starting to make minor adjustments um, and, and opening the lines of communication. And ultimately, I think you'll find that that it really does pay in dividends in the end. The old journey of a million miles begins with a single step, right? Exactly. Well, Julie, Jen, Jack, thanks for joining us. And to all of those uh, listening to the podcast today, we want to thank you for listening to the Human Centric Investing Podcast, and we look forward to hosting you again on our next episode. Thanks very much, and uh, have a great day. This podcast is intended for use by financial professionals or in conjunction with the advice of a financial professional. It is intended to be educational in nature and should not be construed as individual investment advice or a recommendation or a solicitation to buy, sell, or hold any security or to adopt any investment strategy. It does not constitute legal or tax advice or fiduciary advice pursuant to ERISA rules. The MIT Age Lab is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Hartford Funds.